always very quiet after I come up after those. They're great, aren't they? I hope you're enjoying them. Mark, I'm glad you are. Um, if you're following along with Hosea as we read and um, as we uh, preach through this book, I hope you're following the story in the videos and the story of what we're actually following in the text. Um, I think they're done pretty well. Uh, let's, uh, let's, let's pray and open our, our Bibles. Um, if you're... Uh, well, if you're new here today, welcome. It's great to have you here. If you're visiting, um, guys here, welcome. Um, great to have you here. Well, let me uh, get myself sorted out here and then we will get into it. Don't forget too, a couple of things. Um, Mark alluded to these, the, the uh, comment cards there. Please use them. Um, where, where people are using them, it's great. Fill it in. There's a box at the back there, a white box. Um, also, at the end of today too, we're going to have a, our little question time. You notice I'm calling it a question time. I'm not calling it a question and answer time. Well, you might get an answer, you might not. Who knows? Um, so I'm calling it a question time. That's, that's fair, I think. So if, um, but I'm going to encourage you to today is that if, we, if you've got a question, if I'm, just, it's a bit easier on me and a bit fairer maybe on me if we just keep the questions to what we're talking about today. I think that'll be great. Um, we got a bit sidetracked last week, I think, and so let's try to keep them to what we, uh, what we looked at in the text. You'll get better answers from me that way. Um, I think that's probably fair on everyone. Okay, well, let me pray, and uh, hopefully get your Bibles open by this stage, and let's get into it. Father, we, uh, we thank you for your goodness to us. Lord, we thank you most of all for your word today, and we would pray that we would have open hearts and minds to hear what you have to say and respond to them. Uh, Lord, we, we thank you for the, the, uh, the great goodness it is to know you, and, um, and to be loved by you and to have a real and certain hope in, in your words and your plan. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Revelation 21, verse 1. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away and there was no longer any sea. I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride, beautifully dressed for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Look, God's dwelling place is now among the people, and he will dwell with them, and they will be his people, and God himself will be with them and be their God. He will wipe every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain, for the old order of things had passed away. Do you, do you long for that day? Do you long for that day when things will be made right? I, I do. Uh, for pain to disappear, uh, for struggle to end, for healing, uh, for renewal. Do you long for that? When the Apostle John was given this revelation, in Revelation 21, he was on the island of Patmos, he was fleeing from per uh, Christian persecution, and he longed for the day when all of God's people would be with their God. I love those words. He longed for those words, no more uh, mourning or crying or pain. A new creation. The old order of things had passed away. Creation restored, creation made right. Persecution as Christians was rife. It was the late first century. Uh, death and misery was common experience for Christian people, the Christian church. They longed for God to make things right. Now for the faithful few, back in 8th century BC Israel, they too longed for this 
renewal. They looked forward to the day when God would renew his love. He would renew his marriage to his people in a renewed home. But for Israel, this process would not come cheap. As God reclaims his bride, he will remove his blessings, we learnt last week, so that he would be the one true blessing. And to renew his love, God would have to take Israel back to where it all began, the desert. If you want to grab your outline too, that'll be helpful to have open in front of you. And we're on that point, first point there. Verse 14. If you've seen in the Word of God there in Isaiah 2, verse 14 begins with the word, therefore. Do you see that? Uh, now, normally I would say, is my sort of half joke, but we should ask the question, when we see therefore, what's the therefore, therefore? You've heard me say it a few times now. So when we see therefore, we expect a logical, logical conclusion, the logical next point. So let's go back to verse 13. Verse 13 says, I will punish Israel for the days she burned incense to the Baals and went after other lovers. So seeing this word therefore, we now expect something like, therefore God would make Israel desolate and destroyed. Look what they've done, therefore I'm going to punishment. Uh, punish them. Instead, look, let's, look, let's see what we get. Verse 14. Therefore, I am now going to allure her. I will lead her into the desert and speak tenderly to her. There I will give her back her vineyards and will make the valley of Achor, which means trouble, a door of hope. There she will sing as in the days of her youth, as in the day she came up out of Egypt. There's the logic of grace, isn't it? Isn't that grace there in those few, that, that, that verse? Where God's judgment becomes the occasion of God's mercy. Romans 5.8 says, But God demonstrates his love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. God's grace surprises, doesn't it? It surprises it's undeserved favour. See, when a person works an eight-hour day uh, and receives a fair day's pay for his time, that's a wage. Right? When a person competes with an opponent and receives a trophy for his performance, that's a prize. When a person receives appropriate recognition for his long service or high achievements... Well, we call that an award. But when a person or people is not capable of earning a wage and can win no prize and really deserves no award whatsoever, yet receives such a gift anyway, well, that's a good picture of God's grace, God's undeserved love. And this is what God will show to Israel. So imagine for a moment a husband, uh, a husband whose marriage is in trouble. The relationship between him and his wife is strained to breaking. In one final attempt to get things back on track, he takes his wife back to the place where they first met. Uh, perhaps where they first fell in love. And perhaps there she'll remember why she loved him. The old feelings will be rekindled. 
For Israel, the desert was such a place. (laughs) But it was not just a place where God's covenant with Israel began. It was a place where God provided. So out of, we rescued them out of Egypt, across the, the, the Red Sea, in the desert. It was a, this was a place where God provided for them. And, and this is a place, you see, the, the, the fertility gods. So remember in last, last week in, in chapter 2, the first half of it, the, the fertility gods, the Baals, uh, they were worshipped because the Israelites thought they provided for them. But in the desert, nothing grows. You can't call him a fertility god. Nothing grows there anyway. Uh, so when, when Israel was provided for in the desert, uh, out of Exodus and so on, it's abundantly clear who actually is providing for them. God makes it as obvious as anything. He's going to take them back there. Now in one sense, verses 14 to 16 describe a second exodus. So just as God rescued his people from slavery under Pharaoh and then made Israel his covenant people, so God will again rescue his people from slavery. But it's not this time from uh, building things and being whipped and beaten and so forth as slavery in Egypt. No, this time it's slavery to sin. And as we keep reading in chapter 2, it's slavery from sin that God will rescue his people from under a new covenant a new promise. So how will this be fulfilled? How will God deliver on this promise? Well, it's worth remembering for a minute who Hosea is addressing in these words. Remember 2 verse 2? 2 verse 2, these are the words to the faithful few. Children in Israel, rebuke your mother. The faithful children of Israel, rebuke your mother, rebuke uh, national Israel. But Israel, national Israel was really was beyond hope. Not long after Hosea wrote, uh, the Assyrians would come in and wipe out Israel. They'd be lost to history. Israel as a whole may not repent, but individuals within Israel might respond to Hosea's message. It's also worth noting for a minute that by the time Hosea's prophecy was put together, Uh, Someone else probably did that, not really Hosea. But Hosea's prophecy was put together as in a book and it started being circulated. Israel was long gone. So the first readers of Hosea were probably Judah, the south. Hosea himself preached to the north, but his first readers were probably in the south. And they too were facing judgment, just like the north did. And they too, the south, Judah, needed to hear this message. But again, like Israel, the south did not repent. And judgment came in the form of the Babylonians this time, and exile. And that was in 597 BC. But that wasn't the end of the story. God would be faithful to his promises. A remnant, a faithful few, uh, some leftovers would return to Jerusalem. God's people would would actually limp on. They would limp on to Jesus, God's Christ or God's King, who would be the true faithful people of God, our representative. And what happens to that Christ and that King, the true people of God? What happens to him? Look at verse 15. Achor, 
trouble. Trouble. He is made sin for us. On the cross, he experienced defeat and judgment. On the cross, the people of God, Christ our representative, is utterly defeated and destroyed. But the valley of Achor, see that next phrase, becomes a door of hope. And on the third day, Jesus rises again. By God's grace, his death is our death, the death we deserve. His resurrection is our life, the reward he deserves. Well, God's faithful not only long for a renewed love, but they look forward to a renewed marriage between God and his people. That's this little next section in 16 to 20. A bride beautifully dressed for her husband. The names of her lovers removed from her lips. Marriage renewed and a marriage that will last. I wonder, those of you who are married, how many of you can remember your wedding vows? There's some sheepish looks going on here. Heads are going down. Uh, I don't want to put it, but if you can, I'm pretty impressed. There's some people who have been married here for a long time. Um, do you remember, remember what you said? I'll remind you in a moment. I, I really I won't ask you to stand up and recite them. Although if someone could right now, that would be so impressive. <laughs> can anyone do it? That's all right if you can. That's all right. Um, pretty amazing if they could. I cheat in some ways because I do, do some weddings and so I reckon I could probably recite my wedding vows but only because I do weddings re fairly regularly. Um, but if you got married in a Christian church, uh, the wedding vows might have gone something like this. So, Nelly, would you take R Ricardo to be your husband? <laughs> I had to think of two names that were not in this building. Uh, <laughs> if your name's Ricardo or Nelly and you've come for the first time today, I do apologise. Um, <laughs> Will you take Ricardo to be your husband, to live together, together according to God's law? Will you give him the honour due to him as your husband and forsaking all others, love and protect him as long as you both shall live? And the answer, uh, the bride and the groom say, it's the same question to both, is I will. And later, in the vows, they'll say, I, Ricardo, in the presence of God, take you, Nelly, to be my wife, to heaven to hold, from this day forward, for better, for worse, for richer, for poorer, in sickness and in health, to love and to cherish as long as we both shall live. This is my solemn vow and promise. Ring a bell, anyone? Yeah, good. All right, excellent. Um, <laughs> they're the Anglican vows. Um, actually, the, the Baptist Presbyterian ones are actually pretty similar. Uh, what you'll notice in these vows is that they are a promise. Have you noticed that? You actually, the bride and the groom answer that first question with, I will. They don't answer, I do. There's a good reason for that. It's a good reason we answer, I will. In other words, it's not about the present. This is just one day. The promise you make is not about today. You'd hope you'd do these things today. It's only one day. No, this is about the future. That's why you make a promise. I will. Good times and bad. I will, for better, for worse, for richer, for poorer, uh, in sickness and in health, to love and to cherish, as long as we both shall live. It's a promise. And Christian marriage, too, is not love as long as it lasts, or as long as it feels good. I'll love you as long as it lasts, or as long as it feels good. Jesus, speaking of marriage 
uh, and, um, and quoting Genesis, it says, They are no longer two, but one. What therefore God has joined together, let no one separate. It's part of the Anglican marriage service. Marriage is the symbol of God's unending love for his people. That's what marriage is. And it's a symbol of, God, of the union also between Christ and the church. You get that from Ephesians 5. So when we look at Christian marriage, actually it should remind us of Christ and the church. It should remind us of God and his bride. So back to Hosea 2. Hosea 2, 19 and 20, the phrase, I will betroth. It's actually repeated three times. It's a sign of intensity. God intends this marriage to last. He will do what's needed. He will bridge the gap. He will love unconditionally. He will be faithful. I will betroth you to me forever, says the Lord in righteousness and in justice, in love and compassion, in faithfulness. And you'll note too that that intimacy between God and his people here uh, is returned. That last phrase in verse 20. And we will know the Lord. We will acknowledge the Lord. A deep relationship where we know God and are known by God. That's what we can look forward to. There's the Christian hope. In verse 8, back last, last week, the first part of chapter 2, remember that Israel did not acknowledge God, that he was the one who provides? That's from last week. And in verse 13, Israel forgot the Lord. But now she will know him, now she will acknowledge him. Well, finally, God promises a renewed home. So we've seen so far, uh, they're looking forward to a, a renewed love, a renewed marriage, and we too can look forward to a renewed home. It's in verses 18 and then 21 to 23. You know, one of the exciting things about um, getting married is setting up a home together. It's been a bit of a Graham and Michelle sort of wedding marriage theme today, hasn't it? There you go, that's okay though. Um, now, when Michelle and I were married, first married, we lived here. Now, I love, don't you love Google you know, Street View. I don't know who these two are, but they're forever etched in history. Um, <laughs> there's some really funny pictures of that going on when you, if you go through Google Street View. But that's where we lived. So that corner of James Street and then Sydney Road up there. Now, just behind these two lovely people are, um, is a bus stop. Uh, and uh, it was actually, I'll tell you about the bus stop in a minute, but this was, it was a third of an old Federation house. This was back in 1997. And um, the veranda you can see there on the Sydney Road side, looked out onto a very busy bus stop. Um, <laughs> so, and the bus stop, that's a hill, Sydney Road, if you know it, if you know Sydney at all, Manly. Uh, Manly Oval is just down there, which you can watch the rugby, which was pretty cool. Um, anyway, so this bus stop would, uh, <laughs> every time the bus would leave the bus stop, you know, that big plume of black smoke would waft into our house and onto our veranda. This is actually the, um, it was there that I killed my first three Graham Thomas roses. So how about that? Um, the two now that I've got in the front are going spectacularly well. There you go. You know, when we set up home, new home, we, we, we bought some furniture, we were given some furniture, uh, things from family and friends, as you do when you get married. Uh, this is our home and we loved it. Michelle, Michelle got the ferry to work in the city 
and I could work to the beach. I could walk to the beach and surf, which was great. I, I did have a job as well. Um, <laughs> that's not relevant, though. Uh, it was great. We loved it. Really did. Well, verse 18, God promises a new home. A new home, a secure home for his people. Uh, a new covenant promised between, with creatures and humanity. He goes, the, the Hosea uses the language, or God uses the language, I should say, of uh, Genesis 1 and 2. God will recreate a land of plenty, providing for all. Bow and sword, see those words, will be abolished. As Isaiah prophesied, around the same time, 8th century BC, of the new creation, of a new, new heavens and a new earth from Isaiah 65, the lion and the lamb will lie down together, or will be in safety together. Peace and harmony, the old order of things had passed away. Here's what the faithful few, the, the remnant will look forward to. Here is their hope and friends, here is our Christian hope as we look forward to. Verse 21 to 22, the, the earth will be as it should. See, responding. I will respond to the skies and, the, and they will respond to the earth and the earth will respond to the grain and the new wine and oil and they will respond to Jezreel. We'll get to Jezreel in a minute. But uh, the earth will respond as it should, responding to itself, God, not broken. Not under the curse of sin from Genesis 3. Not fallen, but perfect, responding right. It's a total reversal of Genesis 3. And Jezreel, Jezreel, the, the name when it was read at the time or heard, Jezreel, which meant bloodshed. Uh, which, when you heard it, you thought bloodshed. But now it's taking on its true meaning. Remember, Jezreel doesn't mean bloodshed. That's just what it was renowned for. It means planting. God will plant his people in their new home. What a wonderful thing that will be. It is a pattern of grace. It's a pattern of reversal. Look at verse 23. I will plant her for myself in the land. I will show my love to the one I called not my loved one. I will say to those called not my people, you are my people. And they will say, you are my God. The old is gone and the new has come. The old order of things have passed away. So friends, Hosea 2 looks forward to what God will do through Jesus. It's a real and certain hope. That's what it is. That's what Christians have. This renewal of the heavens and the earth will take place when Jesus returns in, uh, in the future to create a home where righteousness dwells for his people. But the renewed marriage has already begun for those in Christ. Once you are not a people, but now you are the people of God. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. Friends, we have a great and gracious God. So let's give thanks to him. Let's pray. Father, we long for the day, that, for that those, what we've just been reading here, for that to happen. Uh, Lord, we celebrate and thank you so much that, that um, the renewed marriage is uh, 
Father, the renewed marriage has already begun for those in Christ. Lord, we pray today that as we uh, put our trust in you, we long and look forward to that day when, Jesus, you will return and take us home, a new home, uh, where we will be with you and, God, we will, um, uh, we will be with your people and you'll be with us. Where the old order of things has passed away, where there's no more pain or crying or mourning, a new heavens and a new earth. Lord, we long for that day. Lord, we thank you that until then, we know that you are with us. Lord, we know that you love us. We know that because you sent your son Jesus to die for us, for our sin. Father, we pray that um, uh, we would trust you in these things and we know your plan and uh, we pray that we would live for that day when you, Jesus, will return. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Okay, so, um, any questions, comments? It's a new thing we're sort of doing. We tried it last week and uh, mixed success. Um, so, <laughs> good questions. Well, the answers were much good, but anyway. Any, um, any comment or question? We had, we had really good comments last, last time. Won't give you long, a long time, but I'll give you a bit of time just to ask. Any questions? Any comments? Yes, yeah, for those at the back, um, Rob was saying, I love how we see God's grace in, um, in the New Testament and the Old Testament. Uh, yeah, it, it pops out of nowhere, doesn't it, in verse 14? Yeah, what? He's going to do that. It's awesome. Great. Thanks, Rob. Any other comment or question? Last chance. Going. Yep, Josh. Yep. Yeah, it is. It's wonderful, isn't it? And and I, I didn't mention this in the sermon, but I, I'll just for a minute now. Is that my master is is um is the English translation of Baal, um, and so they were calling calling God instead of God or the Lord um, or the Old Testament word for the Lord Yahweh. They were calling God Baal, um, and that was their confusion in their idolatry. And so they were no longer call um. Call, you, you'll call me my husband now, which is such a rich intimacy in that relationship. Anyway, I love it. Rather than um, a, a fake God, a statue or something like that. Thanks, Josh. Yeah. Any other comment or question? Excellent. Okay, thanks for that. Um, we're we're going to sing a...